0: We truly need God's grace. Thank you, daughter, my amen corner. Yeah, thank you for praying for her. She's feeling much better, and I'm glad that um, she can be in church today. And uh, let's uh, all stand, please, as we give honor and reverence to the Word of God. And I'll be speaking uh, as we continue our series of studies in the book of Nehemiah. Now we're going to talk about principles of leadership. Uh, We covered chapter 1 all the way to chapter 2, verse uh, 10. And uh, if you remember, Nehemiah was a Jewish man living hundreds of miles away from his home of Jerusalem in captivity, though, in Persia. So he heard about the walls of Jerusalem lying in waste. He was devastated. He prays and weeps and plans and now sees a miracle happen as the king Artaxerxes actually breaks his own law and give him permission to go home and start rebuilding. The king gives him protection in the form of an armed guard with him. And then he gives him all the provisions he will need. And after 120 long days of praying and planning, Nehemiah gets everything he needs from the king in one 10-minute conversation. It's really the Lord working, isn't it? When God opens a door, no man can shut it, isn't it? And when God closes the door on a deal, no man can ever kick it down or open it. So Nehemiah goes from being a cupbearer to being a contractor and then being an anointed leader of his people in doing this great task. So in short, that's a summary from chapters 1 all the way to verse 11 and chapter 2 to verse number 10. So we'll be reading Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 11 to... Um, 20. And uh, Lord willing, if we have uh, time, we'll uh, talk about seven principles of leadership today. And I know all of us here are leaders in some degree, isn't it? a uh, Father leads his family in the home. You uh, have a sphere of influence in your workplace. Uh, we are called the light of the world, isn't it? And as light in this darkened world, uh, when the, the lost world see a good Christian testimony at us, they look at us, actually, as the only open Bible, a uh, walking Bible, so to speak, that they can see in this darkened world. So we learned something about this, and I hope that it will be a blessing to us. So if you're there, say a hearty amen. 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 Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11 to 20. Let's read it all together. Begin. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days, and I rose in the night, and some with me. Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain, and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then went I up in the night by the brook, and viewed the wall, and turned back, entered by the gate of the valley, and so returned. And when the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did, neither had as I yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work, Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. But when Sambalat the Horonite, and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despise us, and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Then answered I them, and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we, his servants, will arise and build, but ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's have prayer. Our Father God in heaven, gracious and almighty, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we humbly bow down our hearts before you. We are so thankful, Lord, that we know you in a personal way. We are so thankful, Lord, that we have the word of God, the scriptures, the Bible, that tells us the great revelation about who God is and what is his plan, to this world. And most of all, Lord, that He love us with an everlasting love that He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And thank you, Lord, for what the choir had just sung a while ago, for that mercy tree. Thank you, Lord, that you even grew up that tree, that you knew, Lord, that will be one day made a cross for your only begotten Son. We thank you, Lord, for that great love. And because of that, we receive that salvation, that love, that everlasting love, that agape, unconditional love. And that's the reason we are also here today. Our main motivation is, Lord, we love thee for everything you've done, for everything that you are, even, Lord, despite of our shortcomings, our sins, our unfaithfulness, Lord, you are still there to care for us and love us. And help us, Lord, right now to really spend time with you in prayer, in the word. I pray for any... Uh, cares of this world, anything that will distract us, Lord, may you put it away. May we uh, be able to have listening ears and understanding heart. Once again, Lord, assure people, we ask for your forgiveness and cleansing for any sins and iniquities, trespasses that we've done against you unknowingly or knowingly. We pray for the blood of Jesus to wash them away. Make us worthy, Lord, to receive thy spiritual grace today. And I pray that you hide me behind the shadow of the cross. I'm nothing without you. Give me Words to speak, Lord, that something that is said today will be uh, a blessing to us, will instruct us. May your word rebuke us, reprove us, and, and Lord, just uh, help us to build a better Christian uh, outlook in our lives, Lord. And we pray also that you keep us safe in this place, and we pray for every church and preacher and ministers of thee that are preaching the gospel of Christ today may You empower them, save the lost, and revive our hearts, for we ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may all be seated. Thank you so much for standing with me as we read God's word. You know, I always made a joke about Nehemiah that he's one of the shortest men in the Bible because he's just knee high, all right? Nehemiah. But of course, Zacchaeus is one of the short uh, person in the Bible. And then there's Bildad, isn't it? The, the shoe height, you know? But if you are a lady, you're wearing uh, six high heels, he's not that short. And then there's a centurion who was so small that he uh, slept on his watch, you know? So, there you go. You'll get it later. But uh, of course, um, Nehemiah is one of, I believe, the best leaders in biblical history, isn't it? And anyone who is willing to follow the principles put forth in this book, and also become a good and a great leader. Nehemiah had walls to build, and we have a church to build. Amen? Amen. And I thank God for, uh, I will always mention this, and we'll never get tired, of the life of Dr. Maximo Mendoza, who's in the presence of God today. Thank God for the vision. Thank God for the burden uh, with everything that he experienced and, uh, you know, the training just to start a church way back 1988, isn't it? And uh, we are the, the byproduct, the results of his prayer, his uh, burden, his vision. And thank God for this God-given place. But it seems like we are outgrowing it. And as Pastor Abel said, we need to expand. So we started this Nehemiah project of praying, amen, and saving. And just, you know, uh, walking by faith to what God would lead us in the next chapter of this church. And we need to build our church. And I thank God for all our deacons here in our church for their faithfulness, for how the Lord has been using them. Uh, they are also leaders of our church for our pastoral staff. They are leaders of our church, our church officers, bo- in both board of trustees and ministries, all our Sunday school teachers, and I could say all of us are some sort of a leader. Amen? Amen? We have a following, believe it or not. Because we are a child of God, we are the light of the world in this dark, and, and we are. they are looking at us for our example for the way we behave isn't it the way we uh exercise our faith so this message is not just for the main key leaders of our church but i believe it can apply to all of us because as i said people look at us for our you know influence for our testimony for an impact we have a church to build we have a family to build we have a business or even a marriage to build And uh, we have young people here in the church that we are trying to develop to be the next leaders of this church. Amen? And they are, let's say, the second generation. Or maybe if the Lord is not going to come yet, will Tyree is coming, maybe our third generation leaders of this church. Not only do we have all the above things to build, but all of us have a life to build. We are parents building little lives. Oh, what an awesome and uh, a great responsibility that is, especially living in this day and age. Amen? Perilous times. There's a lot of uh, things that can uh, take the, the attention and can uh, influence our kids because of the society we're living in right now. Our uh, We're living in perilous times, the Bible says. And uh, the devil, the world, and God is battling for the minds of our children. And we need to pray for them. We need to Teach them, we need to remind them that God's way is always the best. That God's way is the one that is the most prosperous, isn't it? And they could find peace and contentment in doing God's will. Yes, the world can offer them some things that they can enjoy for a season, for a little while. But you know what? It's futile at the end, isn't it? It's a waste of time. It's vain. But if you do God's will, if you find it and do it, then you are success in the eyes of God. No, we are building something here. And our testimony also is either we're going to lead people to heaven or, sad to say, lead them to hell. They are in our workplace, at our school, and in our circles of life. These leadership principles apply to all of us. So first thing, let's dive in. I like that uh, uh, picture there, isn't it, about leadership building. Our first point is leaders need to understand the value of solitude. Solitude means simply like uh, a time that you are isolated, a time of seclusion. Leaders spend lots of time alone. We read that in verses 11 to 16 of Nehemiah chapter 2. When it says there, so I came to Jerusalem and was there three days, and I rose in the night, I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night. Nehemiah by himself, you know, and he surveyed and and walked around the gates of Jerusalem during that time. This is a picture of solitude, these verses 11 to 16. This is a guy, Nehemiah, who is awake while others are sleeping. Most of us don't like to be alone, isn't it? Most of us don't like to be alone. We are used to constant conversation, and companionship. We are used to the noise. We even ask Alexa, 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 play white noise, you know, to uh, help us sleep, to try to deafen our environment so we can sleep, you know, be honest. Even when you are in the car alone, you can't stand it, isn't it? And you turn on your radio or your music or something to listen to. Uh, teens or young people post on their Facebook page or Instagram page. And after uh, a while, they will type that word, bored. That's their favorite word sometimes. Bored. It's been over five minutes since I heard from anyone. HTC, hit the cell phone. You know? Respond to me. Hey, what's happening? You know? They don't want to be alone. They don't want to... They're in constant conversation. If you are at home alone... The TV has to be on, isn't it? And you're watching home alone. (laughs) If you are home alone, you want the TV to be on. You'll hear something, see something, even if you are vacuuming and cannot possibly hear it. Yeah? Did that happen to you? And if your computer dies or the power goes off to your cell phone, then maybe you'll talk to God. Hmm. You know, since there's nothing better to do. It's not supposed to be, isn't it? Because leaders understand that times of quiet are vital in life. Times of quiet are vital in life. You see, in the quiet, we receive a clear vision from God. In the quiet, we see a clear vision from God. The Bible says in Psalms 46.10, Psalms 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. You know, the Lord wants to speak to us if He can get a word in edgewise. He will speak to us If he can cut through the noise. The devil is noisy, isn't it? He is, because he doesn't want you to be thinking. He wants you to be preoccupied. But there are times that we need solitude in life. I don't know how you do it. Maybe a walk in the park and you're talking to God while you're seeing his creation. Maybe you're in your car alone. Maybe in your room. Maybe in your prayer closet. You just need some, you know, uh, wonderful time, moments of time that you can. Just be alone with god in peace and quiet and in prayer and in the word and that's the time god will give you a clear vision of what to do for that day for that week for that month or for the years to come you know here nehemiah needed three days to hear from god remember huh he had that vision he had that burden to rebuild the walls of jerusalem the gates and he asked the king And then the king allowed him to go, and he was already in Jerusalem for three days, but he did not do any work yet. He started being alone with God and praying. Because before he begins the work, he wants to pause and make sure he does it in God's way. You know, not on his own way. Otherwise, he will be just wasting time and money. He could have been three days down the road on this project, But it is never a waste of time to get alone with God. Amen? It's never a waste of time to get alone with God. Later, it was proven that Nehemiah was miles ahead because of the time he sat still before God. This multi-year project was accomplished in 52 days. Unbelievable. You know what? Time spent in prayer and planning is always recovered in performance. Time spent in prayer and planning is always recovered in performance. And we need to learn this, isn't it? I'm trying to learn this. I'm trying to apply this. So don't rush into your day. Take time to pray. Take time to pray. There is this poem by Regine Ann Baldomar. She said, I got up early one morning and rushed right into the day. We're all guilty of that sometimes, isn't it? I had so much to accomplish I did not have time to pray. Troubles just stumbled about me, and heavier came each task. Why doesn't God help me, I wondered. He answered, you did not ask. I tried to come into God's presence. I used all my keys at the lock. God gently and lovingly chided, why, child, you did not knock. I wanted to see joy and beauty, but the day toiled on gray and bleak. I wondered why God did not show me. He said, you didn't seek. So I woke up early this morning and paused before entering the day. I had so much to accomplish that I had to take time to pray. So take time to pray. And God will will show you things that will be good for you. Isn't it? You see, you can't outgive God. Amen? We can never outgive God. That's why the Bible says in Matthew six thirty-three, "But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you." The key for God's blessing is to seek Him first. So when you wake up in the morning, who do you want to seek first? Not our cell phone. Amen. Not even your wife who's sleeping beside you or your children. Seek God first. Say a word of prayer. Whisper to God, Lord, thank you for waking me up. Thank you for another day of life. Thank you for the strength. Thank you for the challenges of today. Thank you for the duties that I could perform. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you. I can open my eyes and see the faces of my loved ones. You know what? When you do that, it can make a difference in your day. Seek the Lord in the morning. We seek the Lord because he wants to, we want to give him first because you know what? That's the least we can do with everything that He has done for us. Seek Him first in the early minutes of the day. Seek Him first on the first day of the week. That's why we are gathered on this, you know, when we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord, the first day of the week, on Sunday, on the Lord's day, on the Lord's house, to worship Him in spirit and truth because this is His day, not our day. God give us six literal days for ourselves. And we cannot be too greedy, isn't it? We cannot rob God. We cannot just give God leftovers with everything he has done for us. And it's sad for some Christians who just like, you know, have no spiritual backbone and wisdom to give God what belongs to him. It's sad. It's a life of disobedience. But if you obey God, there's blessings. Amen? Seek him first. Seek him first in the portion of your finances. That's why we give our tithes. That's the standard of our giving. If you cannot give that, then how can you even give more to god isn't it so seek first his kingdom and his will and you know what the promise all these things what are these things material needs physical needs emotional needs mental needs shall be given to you shall be added because god already knows what you need but if you honor him first and he said oh my child know who i am He knows that I can provide for him. He knows that I'm the source of all blessing. And he would like to honor me first with his time, with his talent, with his treasure, with his testimony. So, oh, I'm blessed with this child of mine, and I will bless him more because we cannot outgive God. Give him time each day, and he'll give you more back. Give him three services a week, and you'll have more free time than those who lay out of church. You know what? I... I can speak to some families here who are here from the morning all the way in in the late afternoon. And, you know, it's not because they are forced to, but they willingly do that because they would like to honor the Lord. It's a blessing. It's a privilege. And I tell you, I think they have more free time to do things that they need and they want for the rest of the week. Why? Because God honors his people who honors him first. That's the key. Look at 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11 to 13. For the sake of time, there's, probably will not read this, but just a reference. You know, this is the story of Elijah after a great victory in Mount Carmel after defeating hundreds of the false prophets of Baal. And uh, he was threatened by Jezebel. That's why, you know, I don't really like that name. Yeah. I've never seen Jezebel, Sirena lang yata, you know, but we don't really give that to our daughter's name. It's not that common. And he was fearful of his life because of his, the threat of Jezebel, and he was discouraged to start running. And he needed God during this time, you know? But you know what? He got alone with God on a high mountain. And uh, it was there where he uh, tried to look for God. I think I, I just need to read it, all right, First Kings 19, verse 11 to 13. And some of us are Lord, uh, I want to see a sign from you that you are li- really listening to my prayer. You know, great sign or like something visible. But look at this. First Kings 19, verse 11 to 13. The Bible says, And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces. Wow, that's scary, isn't it? A great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks. Before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. Oh, that's scary too. No, uh, isn't it? We're in the last days. There's so much earthquake happening. There's one in Japan recently, 7.4 magnitude. Yeah, the earth is groaning. Amen. Ready to be redeemed. Yeah. And when we were studying uh, eschatology about end times, this is not to scare us, but to prepare us to be watchful. Isn't it? And be sober and be vigilant for the coming of the Lord. Look at this. The earthquake was there, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind and earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Verse 12. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after a fire, what, folks? A still, small voice. These are great, you know, powerful uh, energies of nature. Earthquake. Wind, isn't it? And we have no control of that, isn't it? We are just in the mercy of uh, the laws of nature. Fire. But look at those wildfires in California, isn't it? It took them weeks or months before they could even like, dampen it. But those things, the Lord was not there. Of course, God created all those things. He can show His power with those things. But you know what? He was assuring Elijah that he was with him through that still small voice. And sometimes we need that in our lives, isn't it? With all the busyness, with all our hectic schedule, with all the noise and clutter that we hear in this world, we need a time alone with God. And hear His still small voice through prayer and through His word. Are you still listening to that still small voice? In the quiet, we receive a vision from God like Nehemiah, but also in the quiet, we receive the power of God. The power of God. That's why Isaiah 40.31, Isaiah 40.31, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, but they that wait upon the Lord. Waiting here that simply meaning like, oh, we're dimbling our thumbs like that and not doing anything. But waiting here speaks of believing God and His Word. And it's the same time doing something for Him while you wait. You wait, you watch, and you worship at the same time. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Once you wait on the Lord, you look at His promises, you look at His word, you look at what He's doing in the world through the scriptures, and even though there are a lot of uncertainties, and it make you worry of what's going to happen in the future or tomorrow, but when you wait upon Him, meaning you rest upon His word and His promises, then it can renew your strength. Amen? And the illustration here, you can mount up with wings as eagles, these eagles are the strongest you know, uh, 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 birds in that, in that category, in that family, and they can soar so high up in the sky, and, and they are like the king of the birds, isn't it? And you will run, you will not be weary, you will walk, and you will not faint. Because God will be the one that will give you the strength when you wait upon him, when you receive that power in your quiet time. Look, Nehemiah knew this undertaking was impossible without the power of God. Amen? Amen? Building those walls with some opposition and some discouraged people because they've done that before, the first decree, but it was stopped, you know. But he knew he had a big God. Amen? He knew he has a clear vision from God. He knew that he has the power of God to do this. Same thing, and I think BBC, we've seen what. The Lord can do in this church, amen, through the years. And I'm thirsty to see what God can do even more. As the days go by, if we will rely upon Him. Look at this Bible illustration. How did Moses prepare for his ministry? 40 years alone in the desert, isn't it? How did the Apostle Paul prepare? He was three years in the Arabian desert. He entered there with a knapsack. And he came out with the book of Romans, amen? One of the best books in the Bible about doctrines of salvation, a masterpiece. How did Jesus enter into the ministry in Matthew chapter 4? He spent 40 days in solitude in the wilderness, fasting and praying to defeat the devil and yield not to his temptation. So if Christ needed solitude, amen, how much more do you and I need solitude. Look at these verses of scripture. We'll go to them quickly. About Christ having solitude. How much he was able to do because he, he, he took time to commune to God to his Father in prayer. Mark 1.35. And in the morning rise up a great while before day he went out, Christ, and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Who are mourning persons here? They're go. Good for you guys. I loathe you sometimes because, you know, you have like an internal automatic clock. Oh, it's time to wake up, time to do things for the day. You know, you don't have to be, oh, I can sing now! or like, let you like smell coffee so you'll just, you know, revitalize. But uh, good for you. But it's in, in the morning, it's one of the best times to talk to God, to have prayer. When everything's still a little bit quiet and peaceful, like Christ did, you know, because it's another day of life. Another fresh start. Another day to uh, seize the opportunity to serve God and to be a channel of blessing to someone. Look at at, Luke 4.42. Hmm. And when it was day, almost in the morning, he departed and went into a desert place. Jesus did. Luke 5.16. And he withdraw himself into the wilderness and prayed. How about Matthew 14.22? And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Yes, he loved to minister to multitudes. Teach them, heal them, show them the kingdom of God that is to come through his death and crucifixion, through his sacrifice. But he still took time to be with his father. Look, Luke, uh, Luke 22, 41. And he was withdrawn from them. About a stone's cast and kneel down and pray. How about John twelve twenty six? 26? These things spake Jesus and departed and hid himself from them. If Christ needs solitude, how much more that you and I need? That time spent alone with God. We will never have the vision and the power amidst the noise and the clatter of this world. We must get alone with God at some point of our lives. Look at this other example, Genesis chapter 28, verse 10 to 22. This is the story of uh, Jacob, remember Jacob? Uh, He deceived his brother Esau, and uh, he was returning back after his uh, service to Laban, you know, his father-in-law, and Esau was uh, uh, angry with with Jacob for deceiving him, and his wrath was upon him, and, and Jacob thought that, Esau it still hates him after all those years. So it was in that eerie solitude of Bethel that Jacob was granted visions from God. Remember, he took a, a stone for a pillow, not the my pillow in the commercial, you know, but, you know, he was so tired and everything, he took a stone as his pillow, and lo and behold, he had a dream, he had a vision of a ladder going from the earth all the way to heaven and angels ascending and descending, and God was on the top, and he assured him of his promise to Abraham, Isaac, the first patriarchs, that in him, truly, his seed would be blessed, that the Messiah would come. And he made that place a special place of worship. He put an altar there and called it Bethel. All right? Where God was with him because he had a time of solitude before the Lord. It was when Moses was alone in the desert that he saw the burning bush. Amen? Amen? It was when Joshua walked unattended under the stars of Jericho that the captain of the Lord's host spoke to him. I believe this is the uh, Christ theophany or pre-incarnation of Christ. He's called the captain of the host. He walked with with Joshua when he was in solitude and gave him the assurance of victory for that battle. It was while Isaiah was alone in the temple that a live cold touched his lips and changed his life forever, isn't it? And he saw the glory train of the Lord in the temple. And he wrote that book like the New Testament of the Old Testament, Isaiah, isn't it? Which pictures the suffering Messiah, especially in chapter 53. But it did not happen until he was alone with God. Mary was alone that the angel brought the message of the Lord. That the Savior will be born and he will use, you know, his womb. For that fulfillment of that messianic prophecy all the way from Genesis 3.15. But it happened when she was alone. You know? It was when Elisha was alone. Remember? Plowing plowing his lonely furrow that the prophet's mantle fell upon his shoulders. And he had a double portion of the spirit and the power of God of Elijah when Elisha was alone. Daniel dined and prayed alone. Jesus lived and died alone. The whole world has forsaken him. In those three uh, hours of darkness from 12 to 3, when he was hanging on the cross, and the choir just sang about that, that beautiful mercy tree. You see, folks, a leader, leader sees more in the night sometimes than others see in the light. Like Nehemiah, in those verses of Scripture, that he went alone that night to survey the walls of Jerusalem. So, leaders... We ought to understand the importance of solitude. Amen? The importance of a deep communication of prayer toward God. Second thing, leaders patiently gather all the facts. Amen? We need to patiently gather all the facts. That's in verse 13 and 14. Nehemiah is on a reconnaissance mission or a preliminary serving. Or research of the place is about to begin that project reconnaissance mission he is carefully serving the situation close up and firsthand you see leaders don't rush into a project ill-prepared before you can lead you have to learn i thank god i was assistant of pastor max for a long time because we we learn so much from his leadership isn't it and some people that you look up to Leaders make a mess of things when they try to lead without doing their homework first. Nobody seems to have the time to do it right, but every t- but everybody finds the time to do it over. That's why they said, measure twice so you can only cut once. Measure twice so you only cut once. Nehemiah starts by the gate of the valley that's on the southwest wall of Jerusalem. Then he moves, as we read, to the port, the southeast wall. Then he moves to the gate of the fountain on the northern wall. He's obviously making a round of it all, making notes. I think we have a picture of that. And I can just imagine him saying, we'll need the carpenter over there where these gates were burned. We need the stonemasons over there to build up the wall in this spot. He's making notes of the manpower, materials, and money that are going to be needed. Just remind me of Dr. Emmanuel Kison the late Dr. Kison He's a builder. He even had this program, Nehemiah Project, helping churches to, to build like this simple place of worship where missionaries contributed, isn't it? And sometimes he walks through the night and just pray and have vision of building more for the glory of God. Of course, Pastor Max also is a builder. You know, I, I remember Dr., uh, Brother uh, Bern Briones, who was also. Handyman, a builder, and and friends and people that you know that are builders. Isn't it? Luck is where preparation meets opportunity, as they said. Nehemiah was not lucky, but he was just prepared. Remember, he prayed for a long time. He had a blessing from the king. The king was able to give him the provisions that he needs. Because God was with him. God was with his vision. You know, Most of us would be shocked if we realized how many opportunities pass us by just this week. If we are not prepared to seize some opportunity. And sad to say, we did not even recognize the opportunity. Much less seize it because we were not prepared. Sometimes it's sad we would rather pray for a miracle than prepare. We would rather sit around and hope for a miracle. For example, in our finances than take a few minutes to budget and do wise financial planning. Sometimes we're guilty with that. I'm guilty with that. We would rather ask others to pray for our kids to straighten out their life than to set ground rules of discipline and get off our couch and enforce it as parents. Isn't it? I'll pray for my kids. But what happened? You compromise. And then you see the ill effects of that to our children. I know they're not perfect. We're not perfect. But you know what? We can do something to help them because compromise, bad compromise is bad. Amen. At, as they said here, God will only do what he can do after we do what we can do. Alright? God will only do what he can do after we do what we can do in the first place. Uh, just to illustrate that saying. Remember Lazarus of Bethany, one of the good friends of Jesus, with his siblings, Mary and Martha, in John chapter 11, verses 1 to 44. To 4. We know the story. He got sick, and Mary and Martha sent a word to Jesus to come. And uh, you know what? Jesus, I know he's one of your best friends, Lazarus, and you had good time together. Would it be nice for you to come and exercise your healing power upon him? You know, we spent a lot of good times together, in our house and fellowship. But you know what? Christ said, I will not go. And He waited for four days more before He went. Four days late. There you go. And you know the story, isn't it? He came with His disciples and Martha was just, you know, brokenhearted and seems like, Oh, Lord, if You've been here four days ago, He could have not been dead. Parang biniblim niya pa ang Panginoon, you know? But you see here god has a plan jesus is god amen he knows all things this is for his glory and there's a lot of religious people during that time pharisees and he performed one of his greatest miracles. and one of the signs that the messiah truly had come raising a person from death to life only he can do that amen because he is the way the truth and the life jesus is the resurrection and the life and we know the story that uh, once they did, he raised him from the dead. Well, if Jesus, as they ask, if we ask, well, if Jesus is that powerful, why didn't he just wave his hand and even roll the stone himself? How come he asked the people to roll the stone? Because he wanted the people to do what they could do before he could do what he only can do. Perform that miracle, isn't it? Sometimes that speaks to us also. We pray, Lord, help me this and help me that. But we need to put some fit action to our prayers. Amen? Amen? And God can do the rest. Because we ought to do what we can do. And God can do what only He can do. And we can give glory and honor to His name. What a wonderful story this is. And I'm glad Jesus Christ called for His name. Lazarus, come forth. Or else all the people who are dead... In that cemetery, we all come forth, amen? And that's not the time yet for the first resurrection. Huh? But he did what he can only do because the others did what they can do. So we need to think of that, you know? Thirdly, leaders keep their eye on the big picture. Look at verse 15 of Nehemiah chapter 2. Then went I up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley, and so returned by the brook. This is the brook Kidron. When we were in Israel, in Jerusalem, this is the brook that separates the Mount of Olives to the eastern gate, where you can enter the city of Jerusalem. It's also where Christ would come down on his second advent. After the tribulation, he will come down, split that valley into two. Remember I showed you a picture that a lot of uh uh muslims and and jews who don't believe in jesus especially the arabs built cemetery there because it's unlawful for a jew to touch or walk through uh, a dead things you know it makes them unclean and defiled so you know what they buy like uh, a plot there for like thousands and thousands of dollars so exuberant because they want to stop if the the prophecy is true for christ to come down from heaven and split that valley And walk to the eastern gate and open that gate to enter into Jerusalem, to go to the temple. But of course, with God, nothing is impossible. That's why he will go to that Mount of Olives and split all those things so he can have a full view and way to go to the temple. Take all those dead bodies, you know? So there's no problem with him. And it's gonna happen in the future. So this is that Brook Kidron. Located on Mount Olive. So Nehemiah has left his close-up tour of the walls. Remember, he was lo- going through the gates one by one during that night. But now he went back and looked at the big picture. I think I have a picture there. There you go. Look at the big picture. You know, Jesus sat on the same mountain overlooking Jerusalem and wept over it. Before he entered in his triumphant entry in that Palm Sunday. He went on that mountain of Olives look back at the city of Jerusalem and its walls. Nehemiah has an overview of the ruins and also a vision of what it will look like when he is done with it. There you go. He had the view of that, like a Christian artist, of what it could have looked like. Leaders do this or else they won't be able to see the forest for the trees. Leaders plan out the details but don't get back down in the details and minutia. He keeps his eye on the big picture. Now, though, he has to delegate and trust others with the details while he made sure the main project was on track. Some of you are amazed at how you can ask me or Pastor Max before about questions concerning about the things in the church, and sometimes I don't know the answers, but sometimes I always know who will know, and I can refer you to that person who did that for the glory of God you know micromanagers and control freaks will wear out and break down quickly Eh? that's why you need to take out and see the big picture and delegate because good leaders ought to do that they have an eye for the big picture number four leaders carefully choose their words verse 16 look at the example of Nehemiah here and the rulers knew not whether i went or what i did Neither had as I yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. They, they don't speak until it's time. Oh my, we're all guilty of this. Sometimes we just run our mouth, you know, like me. They don't run off at the mouth until they know what they are talking about. I used to think I had to share every thought that popped into my mind. Here's everything I know on that subject. And as I spout it off, I reveal that I often don't know what I'm talking about. Sometimes we thought we're impressing folks with our knowledge, but they're just rolling their eyes on the side saying, there he goes again, there she goes again. (laughs) You have kids like that, sometimes they are know-it-all than the parents, you know, or a person that you know. Uh, Somebody says "I like this, It's better to keep your mouth closed and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Because words have power, isn't it? Words can build up. Words can tear down. Remember our tongue? The book of James says, it's a small part of our member, but it can burn a whole ship. It can cause a lot of devastation. Oh my. Just look at the social media, isn't it? With all the gossips and misinformation and wrong information, it can change somebody's life. Yes. That's why... You need to be factual. You need to be careful in choosing our words. And sometimes, yes, we're still in our old nature, isn't it? It goes off without us even, like, raining it. But thanks be to God, we can ask for forgiveness. We can humble ourselves and say, oh, I'm sorry I said that bad word. If I hurt your feelings. Like what the Bible says, isn't it? If you have a, a bitterness or grief or, like, a quarrel against any brother or sister, go to that person in the spirit of humility and ask for forgiveness. Make it right. Amen? But somebody says, as I said, as I remind you, it's better sometimes to keep your mouth closed and be thoughtful than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. When you share all the details too soon, people before people are ready to receive them, then you can start a groundswell of discouragement before you even start. Because human nature is for us to think of reasons it can be done. Isn't it? Remember, the same project was attempted a few years before, and it was shut down. So the people still remember that part, that history. So Nehemiah, by God's grace and wisdom, did not give them all the details. Nehemiah Nehemiah knows that the number one thing he's going to hear once he shares all the details with his worker is, we tried that before, and it did not work. Look at verse 12, Nehemiah 2, 12. It says there, And I arose in the night and some few men with me neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me save the beast that I rode upon. You know, you don't jump up and tell everything you know immediately. You wait. This is the key for God's time and place like Nehemiah did. Let's choose God's word. Let's choose God's way. Let's choose God's work in our life. You know? Can I finish this? Yes, I can finish this in 10 minutes. Amen? So, number five. Five principles of leadership. Leaders know how to share their vision. When the time is right, they know how to get people on board. Amen? If you believe we're doing God's work here, amen. then you need to support it. Amen? And be involved with it. Because it will all benefit us. Amen? It's all for God's glory. Amen. To to raise our kids in the nurture and knowledge of the Lord, to expand something so they could have a place, they can hear God's word in this world of confusion. Look at verse 17, Nehemiah two, seventeen. Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more reproached. As we know, walls speaks of protection, isn't it? Walls speaks of separation. Walls speaks of sovereignty. Walls speaks of glory. So it's okay to build a wall, amen? (laughs) Because even Nehemiah did that, you know? To show boundaries, to show, you know, sovereignty. When the time is right, they know how to get people on board. Leaders, leaders know to share their vision he pointed out in verse 17 what was right before their eyes they saw it but they did not really see it they had grown so accustomed to it that they needed their vision restored for how things were supposed to be worse they had accepted that things couldn't be different so they would just get used with the walls torn down gates being burned but Nehemiah was there right now to make a difference you know that's why you notice the word let us notice the, the phrase that we no matter how great a man Nehemiah was, he knew he could not do the job himself. And I thank God for our deacons here in our church, amen? Our officers and every member who supports the work here, because we can never do the work ourselves. There is strength in numbers, and we would need a lot of help. That's why 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, For we are laborers. Are you glad you are God's laborer? And God is such a good master, amen? He's just, He's faithful, He will reward you in due time for everything that you do for God. For we are laborers together with God. We are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. We are God's, amen? And that's good. We're doing something for His glory, for His kingdom. When God's people work together, we can accomplish so much. To illustrate this, notice uh, while you're driving around, you see this geese. What's the plural of geese? Geese? No. Goose is singular. Geese. Geese is the Filipinas. You know? (laughs) Geese fly, as you know, in a V formation, isn't it? Why is it? I think Pastor Abel did a wonderful message about this, this illustration. Geese fly in a V formation, and one side is always longer than the other. You know? Know why? According to this research, how come the one side is longer than the other? Because there's more geese on the other side. (laughs) Well, seriously, it's because the lead goose is splitting the air, cutting the wind, making it easier for the others to fly. And when that lead goose gets tired, he pulls back and another takes the lead. You see, people smarter than me have determined that geese, that this geese can fly 72% further that way than any one of them could have by themselves. So there's benefit in teamwork. There's benefit in uniting together, isn't it? You know, God programmed that into nature, even to the birds, and He wants us to operate that way too, as a church, amen? As people of God. Deuteronomy 32, verse 30, it says there, How should one chase a thousand, and two put ten thousand to flight, except the rock had sold them, and the Lord had shut them up. As I look at our crowd today, my heart leaps at the thought of what we can accomplish once we all decide to get on board and do it together. Amen? You know what? There's a survey that says that only 20% of the congregation do most of the work in the church. Not half, not, but that's 20% who do the giving, who do the actual work. And the others are just expectators. But you know what? We can change that statistic. Amen? Everybody can be involved. Amen? God needs you. We need you. We need each other. Amen? And it's for the glory of God we're doing these things. I mean, all of us can be used by God. That's why we are saved to serve. Amen? We are saved to work together. We can be sitting on a spiritual powder keg, so to speak. And sometimes pastors and preachers are just waiting for God to light all the fuses for that spiritual powder keg to work. The people said, as we read, let us rise up and build. Let us rise up and build. And I, I believe this is one of the best praises and, 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 and words of God for, for a missionary starting a work. Amen. For a missionary or a preacher or evangelist trying to build another ministry, we can rise up and build by the grace of God. And I love this saying from Henry Ford, the one who invented the automobile, isn't it? He said, coming together is a beginning, keeping together is progress, thinking together is unity, but working together is success. I like that. Coming together is a beginning. Yes, we can come together for a purpose and a plan. Keeping together is progress. Yes, we need to be united. We need to help each other. Thinking together is unity. We have to have the same mindset. But once you put on the work, working together will, give, will bring success. Leaders know how to share their vision. Number six, leaders know how to strengthen their followers. As I said, we are all leaders here in some degree, in some place, in some sort. In our workplace, in our family, in our school. We need to strengthen those who look at us. Leaders are encouragers by, encouragers by nature. Sometimes I discourage you. Sometimes, you know, but I try to be an encourager. They focus focus on why it can be done. They help people believe in themselves and in what God wants to do through them. Yes, God can do something through you. Only God can do through you, because we're all are parts of the same body, but with different offices, different talents, different things to do. Aren't you glad God did not make us all the same? It's going to be boring, isn't it? There is diversity, but there is also unity and harmony at the same time. And only God can do that through the Spirit. Oh, I love uh, big churches who have multicultural ministries, isn't it? Only you can see that in a Christian church. Try to put that in a secular, you know, oh, it's going to be chaos. It's not going to be too great when they begin, but only because The Lord gives us only one spirit, isn't it? One Lord, as the book of Ephesians says, one baptism. One spirit to do His work. Do you believe God is in His kingdom, in His work? In verse 18, it says that God did this. Nehemiah assures them, Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, because it's only God that can do all those things, giving Him favor. In the eyes of the king, giving him the provision, giving him the safety, even the armed guard that protects him, the letters that was given to him so he could travel, so he will not be harassed. It was really God who was working with Nehemiah to do this awesome job, job, awesome task. And once God's people are convinced that God is in it, then they will support it. They will rise up to the occasion and meet the challenge that the Lord put before them. You know? He tells them what the king has said in verse 18, and he shared them the blessing and the assurance. Number seven, last, amen? amen. amen. Leaders know the value of determination. Determination, verse 19. But when some ballot, there you go. Oh, we will uh, hear these names over and over again in this series. The Horonite, actually, is a governor of Samaria that makes <clears throat> multitude. And Tobiah, the servant, or he is an official in the Persian um, empire, Tobiah. And Geshem, the Arabian, heard it. They love us to scorn. When you try to do something for God sometimes, some people will oppose you, will laugh you, mock you to scorn. But leaders know the value of determination. You can't be easily discouraged. You must forge ahead. When God's people want to build, the devil will cause people to blast. You want to build, you want to get blessings from God, but the devil is there to blast. The door of opportunity swings on the hinges of opposition, so to speak. There is no easy way, lazy way, or cheap way to do the work of God. First Corinthians 16.9 says, For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. You see, if you were trying to do something for God, expect the devil to work against us. These three men are demon inspired, as they said. This commentary. They are in every church. <laughs> so sorry. Some just their names tell the story, don't you know? I have to end this. Sanbalat means thorn. it's a thorn to the side. of People want to do something. Tobiah means Jehovah is good. Yeah, yes. Yeah. These are all uh, good Jewish name. And Geshem means rain. But they are this. Devil in three, the devil's three musketeers, so to speak. Because anytime you want to do something for God, you'll run into this tree. Thorn is a pain on your side, isn't it? He's like, Sanbalat is like a, a person who's critical and throws cold water on all of your plans. He questions your judgment and your motives. Because he said there in verse 19, Will ye rebel against the king? Did the king really sanction this? He stopped this before, but now Nehemiah found favor, isn't it? You just want to be a big shot, you know. You just want to be recognized. Christians are bad about judging motives sometimes, and it hurts badly. Some Christians, you know. Jehovah is good. Well, this is uh, Tobiah. You know, he's the one who walks around all the time saying, Praise the Lord. Oh, you know, we, we love what you're doing, and God is so good until the first time you make. A decision they don't like and a mistake, and they will oppose you. And then rain is the meaning of uh, Geshem, means rain, the Arab. He's the one who walks around with a cloud over his head. He's always gloom and despair and agony on me, agony on me. He brightens up a room by leaving it. He's the Eeyore, Eeyore of every cartoon. Did I pronounce that? Eeyore. Is that need the Pooh? Gloomy, sad and sadly they don't recognize that that's who they are those are present at times in church you know it's like barney five asked his friends to go get something to eat then they ask "Were oh it don't matter to me i'm easy to please how about the diner no the special is tuna casserole i hate that how about the drugstore no everything tastes like medicine Let's go to the Italian restaurant. Nah, I just don't like my main dish concealed in heavy sauce. So where do you want to go? It doesn't matter to me. You're negative person. They have trouble recognizing themselves that way. Leaders don't understand the value of determination. That's their names. What was their methods? These three guys who opposed. They lean against the wall, and as we read, they began to scorn and laugh. And sometimes that peer pressure causes many to falter. They can take the ridicule and they bow to the pressure. But the only way to escape criticism is to do nothing and be nothing. Anything moving forward will cause some friction, isn't it? But we still need to move forward. Nehemiah says in verse 20, We will do the work of God and we're not listening to you. huh? And you're going to miss out because you're not on board. And we, want, we don't want anybody to miss out the blessings of God. Amen? Amen? In this place. So let us all, by God's grace, rise up and build. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this simple message about some principles of leadership. And we are learning about this more and more. Thank you, Lord, for being our master, our great leader. Because you did the greatest example by just humbling yourselves, Lord, and just going down here in this earth and meeting our needs in our level. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus, who is the epitome of humility and uh, someone who can always follow his footsteps, and his example. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we were proud and were unteachable. And thank you, Lord, that you are the one who gives us strength when people, Lord, criticize us or oppose us. And mock us and say, oh, you cannot do that that way. Oh, it cannot be done. But Lord, by your grace and mercy and wisdom, we need, Lord, that encouragement that we need to be determined to do what you ask us to do in accordance to your word. If you're here today as I brought this invitation, as we always do, in order for the Lord to, to bless your life, you need to have a personal relationship with him yes you can you are receiving god's common grace right now you have life freedom things that you need here in america material blessings but more than that is something that you need which is spiritual blessings and the bible says before salvation we are dead and trespasses and sin we cannot really please god but god loves you and me he wants to have a personal relationship with us that's why he sent his son to die on the cross to shed his blood to give us salvation so today if you're not sure that you have eternal life that you are forgiven of your sins and you have a relationship with the Lord it's now time to call upon his name and ask him to save you salvation is simple and clear is only by grace through faith in what Christ had done on the cross so if you will just bow your heart and your mind, and your whole being to the Lordship of Jesus. And we'll ask Him by faith to forgive you of your sins and save you. He will save you today. He'll give you a new life, an eternal life. And only Him that can ever give that to you. So if you haven't known Him in a personal way, why not trust Him today? Let's call upon Him to save you. And you can pray this way. Lord Jesus, I believe that I'm a sinner, that I never save myself, and I knew that the wages of sin is death. But thank you for dying on the cross for me, shedding your blood, and resurrecting from the grave to save me. I ask you for your forgiveness of all my sin. I repent of it, and by faith I receive you in my heart and life to be my Lord and personal Savior. I call upon you to save me. And thank you for saving me today and giving me a new and eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you had prayed that prayer, let us know. We want to share that gospel, that good news. And only Jesus can save you because He loves you. Because we can never, ever save ourselves. Because we will always fall short of God's glory. For Christians here, we are all mm-hmm. called leaders in some areas of our life and how's the Lord using us there are times we fall short isn't it the times we follow rather than lead sometimes in the outside world but right now God has given us a reminder that there are some people that we can lead for Him and uh, God's way through the word of God through the scripture is still the only way the best way the good way lead them. So let's ask the Lord right now all of us individually pray to God. Lord, there's something in my life that I want you to give me an assurance. I want you to change in me and uh, help me Lord to promote you. Help, Help me Lord to have a passion to be a witness for you. Help me Lord to build something for your glory. Maybe God is leading you to To reach a person or start uh, this ministry, whatever it is, the Lord will equip you as He guides you. Maybe we focus so much on ourselves and we left out others. Now is the time to commit to God. Help me, Lord, to rise up and build my family, my marriage, my children in my workplace while there's still time. Because the Bible says, redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. oh Lord, be merciful to us. Father in heaven, as your people pray, Lord, thank you, Lord, that you all call us to be leaders in some degree. Also, Lord, most of all, we are your followers. We are your disciple. And Thank you, Lord, that through you, you will never lead us in the wrong direction. You are our shepherd. You lead us to the right pasture. You lead us to the still waters that can refresh our soul. Lord, thank you for being our shepherd. And as people look at us in our workplace, in our school, Lord, may they see uh, Jesus in our lives. They will see hope. They will see blessings. They will see determination. They will see righteous living. May they see faith. May they see love and understanding in us. No, uh, Lord, we, we will never be perfect, but we strive, Lord, to to be what you want us to be, only by your grace, mercy, and strength. Most of all, Lord, we pray that um, our light will shine before men. This world is getting darker and darker, and only the gospel, light of the scriptures can lighten it somehow. Only us can still preserve this word as we are your salt. Lord, help our testimony to be true to the Lord, and guide us and instruct us. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us this truth, and thank you, Lord, for your people who have listened and blessed their prayers and their desire in their heart today as they glorify you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.